Amen. Thank you, Mark. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ Community Church. It's good to be with you all this morning. If you would, be turning in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 2. will be in verses 37 through 41 this morning. And as you're turning there, let me give the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with. It's that God saves and calls us to serve as baptized ambassadors of reconciliation to the coming generations and not yet believing neighbors that he entrusts to us. Let me say that again. God saves and calls us to serve as baptized ambassadors of reconciliation to the coming generations and not yet believing neighbors that he entrusts to us. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day. Thanks be to God. Now, by way of reminder, as Robbie helped us understand last week, what we're doing here in this series is biblical theology. So we're not going straight through a book of the Bible. So the ways in which we're handling the texts are a little different than maybe what you're used to when we're going straight through a book. So we're actually not just looking at the text itself, but the bigger picture of the redemption story, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And so we're looking at baptism within the scope of that. So uh, we, don't, we don't just look at the text, but we look how the text interacts with that greater story. So that's important to us as, as we go through things because it is slightly different. Now, as we're turning to this text, let me ask you, how have you benefited from other baptized ambassadors of reconciliation from previous generations? And some of you may still be benefiting from these folks, but can you be a Christian without them. Now, if you're, if you're a wicked reformed person like me, you may say, well, I thought it was by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Well, do remember Romans 10 that, that we were in some, <laughs> a couple of years back, uh, that it says, how will they hear unless someone is sent to tell them, right? And so there's a sense in which this, our salvation is not uh, anything that happens or rises from nowhere, it rises from the generational faithfulness displayed by God covenantally in and through the people that he has called to himself, right? And so it's very important that we recognize we're not sitting here this morning because we're awesome. We're not sitting here this morning because we get it. In fact, you might could make some arguments against both of those statements that we're sitting here because we're not terribly awesome and we're sitting here because we don't really fully get it. Uh, and it's not really something that's to be mentally assented to anyway. It's something to be lived. It's a relationship, which is way different than understanding how a math problem works, right? And so it's very important that we continue to take stock of those who've invested in us, those who are helping us to grow in Christ through their faithfulness 
uh, as baptized ambassadors of reconciliation. And then to recognize that that is also our charge, right? Too often, uh, we, we don't recognize that you're being saved for something. You're being saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to join in the long line of faithful people of God to help uh, the other generations and those uh, in your spheres of influence who are not yet believing friends of yours and neighbors. Uh, because they can't get there either without there being a great cloud of witnesses who continue to proclaim the gospel. And so what we see here is Peter has faithfully done that. So this is early on in the book of Acts. This is after Jesus has ascended. He's given them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, why did, did all, all those folks have to be in there? Well, it is a recognition that in the economy of redemption, the entirety of the Trinity is involved and necessary. Each plays a part. And then he says, once they've been baptized... Now you go about teaching them the things that have been entrusted to you by, by me and by the apostles. And so there's an order to it that is important, right? That we recognize that we don't come in because we understand and know. That's really important. We, we, we come in because we recognize something is wrong and we're in need of a savior. And then from there we begin to learn the, the deeper aspects of things. But most importantly, you first must know you're loved before any of it makes any sense. There's another way of saying that. So here he has preached a sermon. And the sermon text, uh, starting off, was Joel chapter 2, where, where there's this promise of Pentecost, that the Spirit will be poured out, and this is really interesting, you've got to think about this in the Old Testament, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and there's all their dream dreams, there's all kind of stuff there that begins to show how the new covenant is going to be much broader in its inclusion on the initial side of it, right? So remember what we talked about from the Abraham stuff. Circumcision was for males, but but it's not that that females were not involved in the Abrahamic covenant because what good is a circumcised male? Uh, if there is no female to produce children. I know that's kind of crass and, and, and just kind of reduces it, but they need each other, the co-heirs. And the woman cannot bear the fruit of the grace of God in the Abrahamic covenant and the promise from Genesis 3.15 unless there is a male to be involved. Now, if you want to make a modern science argument, it still has to come from somewhere. It's not so much how it gets there. It's the two parties necessary to make it happen. And so this is important for us because we, we can fail to recognize just how important we all are and have been. But the, the stakes go up even higher in the new covenant because now uh, we can create spiritual children and then through the sharing of the gospel. And so he starts the sermon with Joel chapter 2, the promise of the pouring out of the Spirit, he happens to be preaching that on Pentecost, which is not a New Testament holiday. It's an Old Testament holiday. It's where the promise of God would be fulfilled. And those who are gathered, interestingly, are Jews. And we know that because he says men of Israel, uh, or all of Israel, listen. And he proceeds to tell them that essentially their generation uh, has crucified Christ. But, but, and that would be bad news if that's all there was, but he goes on to explain death if there were not another king coming. And what he's saying is he'll pay for it. 
And though you have crucified him, you did it according to the will of the Lord, but you will still pay for it if you stand on your own. And he offers them the beauty and the power of the gospel. And they are cut to the heart. So the spirit is already at work before he is poured out. And they're cut to the heart by the, by the preaching of the gospel. And they turn to the apostles. And this is something we, we all ought to learn how to better do. Is to when we are confused about something or we're cut to the heart about something or we, we, we're not real sure about something, is to actually turn to some folks who, who can help you, who can walk with you, who can explain it. Now, I understand there's all kind of problems with authority and manipulation and all of those kinds of things. But I'm here to tell you that is not our spirit or heart. And if it is, you need to find that out so you can go to a church you can trust. But too often we're wrestling with things until the damage is done. And, and you're coming to us with a finished product and using spiritual language that we can't even push back on. Instead of us being able to help you as you are wandering and struggling with either theological truths or other things that are very practical to which the gospel can be applied. And so they wisely, when cut to the heart, didn't go home and do their own research. Which, you do know you're still researching the thoughts of other people, right? So you're not doing your own research. You're still walking in a long line of humanity that is processing information. And so they turn to him, and here's what he says. He says, you need to repent and be baptized. Now, the repentance piece, remember, that's not an act proper, right? That's not, a, that's not a proactive act. That is a surrender of. He's telling them, you must now surrender to the king who holds the sword. Now, think about this. This is actually a more fearsome statement than we give it credit for. Because you're basically submitting yourself and saying, I will submit myself to Jesus and you don't yet know if he is going to kill you or save you. He's got the power to do both. And yet, what is his choice in repentance? In the covenant faithfulness of God, in the steadfast love of God, the steadfast forgiveness of God, the steadfast patience of God, what is the choice? To redeem you. But on the front end, you're not real sure. Like we're, we're, And think about it, our culture in particular, and this has been true of us since, since Eden, right? Submission wasn't popular with Adam and Eve either, right? And, and you go telling people today, hey, you need to submit. What, what's the first reaction? How many people are like, bro, you are speaking my heart language right now. Like I can't wait to do this. You start telling people that they, 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 can't, they can't transform themselves in any way they decide without having to think it through, without having to recognize the impact that it has on the image of God in them, and do they start to get wild. You start telling people they, they can't do certain things as far as marriage is concerned, job is concerned, anything. Even if it's wisdom, you're not even making a commandment. We're not, we're not super interested in all that. And so the call to repentance, we need to recognize how truly, truly fearsome this word really is. So when he says to them, you've got to repent and be baptized. Well, for them, their understanding of baptism to four, and this is very important because too often I think we don't recognize that there were multiple baptisms. 
within the, the history of the people of God. There's, a, there's John's baptism, which was a transition between circumcision and the coming of the king. In fact, we know this from Scripture. It even speaks of it as transitory. And it was repent, and be, he, he told them to repent of their sins. So what's different here? Well, the addition and difference here is now you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism did not include the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, but it pointed forward, right? And even Hebrews speaks of ceremonial washings and cleansings that would oftentimes be viewed within the context of baptism. This is why Paul has to say in Ephesians 4, there is one baptism now. And that baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is where you, where you are received into uh, the, the visible church. And so, and so here there is new covenant implications. Now let me pause here because this is something a lot of people have questions about. So what's new about the new covenant? Well... They picked the language I didn't. If I had been on the editorial board for the original scripture that was written, I might have chose a different word because of how confused we get about the word new. It, it's still, it's the right word, but we tend to think there's new stuff, right? No. What's new about it is that you receive the fullness of the promises to which the old covenant pointed. And it has eternal application. Now, let me pause here and chase this other thing that may have just come up in your mind. Well, so were people in the Old Testament not saved? No, they were. Remember Romans 4, right? How were people in the Old Testament saved? By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in his redeeming power that they did not yet know. Right? They trusted that a Messiah was coming, a Savior was coming. And since Jesus has always been, it's not plan B, they were redeemed in the new covenant. We have the fuller picture than they did. Peter talks about this when he says, The prophets and the angels long to see what you now see. They long to have experienced what you now experience within, within the history of redemption. And so, so we are the benefactors of the new covenant in that we now can receive in full. We don't have to, notice, we don't have to slaughter animals on an annual basis to re-up for ourselves, our understanding of atonement. Notice that the Spirit doesn't come and go with us, as it did frequently in the Old Testament, right? Remember, Saul, the king of Israel at that time, the Spirit was upon him because he was king. And he acted in such a way that the Spirit was removed from him. So the temporality of what was being offered by faith through God's grace in the Old Testament, is now eternal and assured and granted to us for all time. And all God's people should say, Amen. Amen. And so what a gift it is that we have uh, the fuller revelation. Christ himself, uh, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, needs to mean something to us. I know that makes you reform folks a little nervous, but he's in there. And good. Because he convicts us of sin and he convicts us of righteousness and he exalts Jesus and he helps us to use our gifts so as to display God's character in the world. And so what, what Peter's trying to get them to understand here is you, you first must surrender. And part of that surrender, the evidence of your surrender, is to be baptized. And in that, remember, he's talking to a generation of 
adults first, just as in circumcision, right? The first group to be circumcised were adults. The first group to be baptized were adults. But he says some things here that I think are important to us that connect to redemptive history. There's been a pattern that God has shown from the beginning. We've talked about this with the stuff on Abraham. Children have always been included in the covenant community, the visible covenant community. And so you, you need, we need to understand that if all of a sudden he was moving the goalpost and excising children from the sign then in essence, what he would have been doing on this day is the largest excommunication in the history of the world. Because all the Jewish covenant children who were part of that visible community would have been left out, and they would have had to wait. So he makes it clear here that this promise that you are receiving, right? What's the promise they're receiving? The forgiveness of sins. This promise that you are receiving is also offered to your children, to the coming generations. That would have been very important to, to, to make sure that, that children were included, and this is one of their, their tasks. Is the Abrahamic covenant is not, not gone, right? It's like the new covenant. It's fulfilled, right? It, it's on a much larger scale. And so it could have been that he's like, don't worry about having kids no more. In fact, the world at that time was, was I would argue, more terrible than ours now in many respects. And it would have been really terrible for Christians as they were, they were be, that the church was growing and beginning and becoming a, a group that was calling for exclusivity, right? So Rome actually was all about having freedom of religion. So long as no one religion tried to say that the emperor wasn't God. And so long as no one religion tried to claim uh, a greater authority or a greater uh, ability than the other religions. Well, what's Christianity? It's a problem from the start. And so uh, they would, would have been very concerned. So it, would have, it, it, it could have made sense that he said, let's just worry about spiritual children. And let's, let's just not even have any more kids because we don't want to have to you know, see them die. So he's actually giving them the two-pronged mission that was always been the mission of God. It is through the having of children, which is a gift from the Lord. We still recognize that today. You cannot be pro-life and not, not think about the Abrahamic covenant. You, you can't. Children are a gift to us most of the time. And that's a, that's a difficult reality, right? Like they, they are a gift from God, but they're also a stewardship responsibility in their sinfulness uh, and their own rebellion. And all the great, greatest parenting techniques, homeschooling, public schooling, private schooling, Christian schooling, uh, hybrid schooling, will not guarantee an outcome. I wish it would. It'd make my job a whole lot easier. Right? But it doesn't. And you may say, but don't some have better results than others? Actually, no. Not exactly. Um, and so, so you, you have to just think those kind of things through is what's best for your child. I don't want to get on a schooling rant here, but, but it's, it's important that we recognize it's not technique, right? And so, so the children would have been included in the covenant community to, to be discipled, right? So this would follow the Great Commission. You baptize your children, you baptize infants, and you, you raise them up. And now you may be thinking, ah, what about that repentance piece? They haven't repented. Well, 
adults who are baptized in the church, <clears throat> uh, Jesus says it strongly. And don't get nervous and start wondering if I'm referring to any one of you as wheat or tare, but the reality is this. Among baptized adults who've repented and made professions of faith of some level, there is quite the possibility that, that there's tears for him uh, as warning. He says, you show up and you say, Lord, Lord, look at all that we have done. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Do you think that they were not using the means of grace? And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Now, that's not to, to make you unsure of who you are, but to, to call us all, as Paul does elsewhere, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's not take it lightly. Let's not take our confessions lightly. Let's look for good trees, bear good fruit. Not perfect fruit, by the way, but good fruit. And the good fruits are fruits of the Spirit and the characteristics that God has displayed. We ought be growing more gentle and lowly as we go along. Um, that's not a fixed place. I wish it was. Again, it would make my job a whole lot easier, but it's not. It's an ongoing process we call sanctification, of which your baptism is to be of help to you. And so this is, the, this is you've got to understand, this is the beginnings of essentially the church. You've got 3,000 souls that come in. At the day of Pentecost, this is worthy of celebration. And them knowing that they are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit is yet another confirmation sign of the new covenant, right? Like these, all of these things are telling them who and whose they are. And he says, this is for the forgiveness of your sins. And so not only is it for their children, which would have been very important, you would have had to explain thoroughly to a Jewish audience that you're not including kids anymore. Because they would have raised all kind of Cain, no pun intended. And so uh, they then say, he says, about those who are far off. Now, this could be one of two groups of people, if not both. Most likely, it's a reference to Gentiles. But it could also be uh, Jewish folks who've departed from the Jewish faith and chosen to chase after uh, lovers less wild than the Lord our God. And so it, it quite possibly is both groups. But, but he's saying this is not just for your children. This is also missional. This is also for all who are far off from the covenant people of God. Not Because you got to remember, for travel for them, it wouldn't have been like, you know, you guys got to worry about the people in Spain and you got to worry about the people in the New Americas that you haven't even heard of yet and Canada that's not even been discovered yet. Uh, and so at least by anybody from Europe. Uh, and so it's important that we recognize he's not saying that they got to go way off on mission trips. These are people who are far off from God himself. So their baptism was to, to really uh, orient them in two ways. One, toward the coming generations, that they would disciple them as they had been called to do, uh, as they would have been baptized. And then to those who are far off, to, to call them to repent in the gospel and make a profession of faith and be baptized. And so this is their charter. And I think this is important for those of you who are thinking this morning, we had to. But I'm not trying to be overly polemical about it because this sermon actually is not an argument for that primarily. What I want us to walk away with, and this you should be able to do regardless of your view, is that our baptism initiates us into the mission of God. That, that, that it is a charter 
uh, of the forgiveness of sins to us to share the gospel with the coming generations and to share the gospel with our unbelieving or not yet believing friends and neighbors. And if you're wondering how do I improve upon my baptism, as Robbie talked about last week, he gave uh, some, some great advice on that. Another way to think about it is, well, where are you doing those two things? Where are you investing in the coming generation? And let me pause here. Not everybody is called to every bit of this, right? He's speaking to a, a group of people that are supposed to do this as a, a unit. So there will be some who are more gifted by far at, at reaching the coming generations. And there will be some who are more gifted at engaging with their not yet believing friends and neighbors, right? You know this to be true. Um, for, for, for some, it's kind of like uh, if you ever saw the, the video of uh, Bob Newhart as a counselor. And ladies coming to him and, and his advice is he's a, he tells her, because she has this fear of being buried alive. And, and he says to her, he says, now listen, I want you to write this down, okay? Stop it. And she's like, wait, what? And, and she starts to frustrate me. And finally he goes, if you don't stop it, I'm going to bury you alive. <laughs> right? Some people, that's evangelism. And we, and we may not need you in children's ministry either with that kind of energy, but, uh, but definitely not to our not yet believing friends and neighbors. We can, we, sometimes we just don't have the patience or we're just not. You may not have the patience for children's ministry either. So, but either way, we are all called to be part of it. Whether you're a behind-the-scenes person and prayer is more the issue for you or you're front of scenes, whatever, whatever. I cannot do this without you. As we go back to being co-heirs, um, it makes absolutely no sense for us to try to be a church without uh, the priesthood of all believers. And each of us has gifts and responsibilities that we need to be cultivating and seeking. And if you don't know, come ask. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. But we need everybody because the harvest is plentiful. One of the great things about the rampant division that we've got going on in our culture is that it gives us the opportunity to stand out. But unfortunately, we keep trying to blend in. It implores you and it grants you the ability to stand out over and against all of this fear and insanity. And just so you know, they would have been struggling with something very similar. Politically, socially, all kind of the same stuff was going on, sans the internet, which helped. But you got to understand, they also lived in like a one-by-one-mile square, so information traveled very quickly, almost as fast as the internet. They just weren't necessarily global like we are. And so, here... What Peter is trying to get them to do in this inaugural sign, in this, this sign that is welcoming them into the new covenant community, is that they would take up the mission of God. What, what good does it do for us to be baptized if it's just for ourselves? Right? I mean, what, what, what good does that do us? And what good does it do us if we never return to it? We don't ever think about, what, it, what does it mean? 
Now again, this is to be fair to you. There are times that we probably have not made much use of your baptism. We don't necessarily speak to you as baptized ones as, as Paul did in Romans 6. The church could learn overall to, to really speak to that and seek to encourage that as part of discipleship. But so often it's just something that's done. All right, we check that off. Let's move along, right? Well, it should be something that we return to. And so when he, when he continues to exhort them, and he tells them to save themselves from this crooked generation, that's not a cultural comment, not, not in the way that we would think. It's actually a comment on the crooked generation is they are part of the generation, as he had previously told them, crucified Jesus. That's the crooked. And so it is important that they submit, uh, and they do. And what a great gift it is to the church that these folks come in because, as you remember, I hope you remember, from the book of Romans, where does the Roman church come from? Here. The Roman church is born, not Roman Catholic, for those of you who are wondering, the, the Roman church in terms of, the, of Jesus Christ and, and, and the Bible. It's born right here. And they go and do exactly what they have been charged to do. And if you remember, a whole bunch of those who were far off, Gentiles, come in to the Roman church. And the church grows. And it is this beautiful display of the diversity of God and the, the broadness of his love that every tongue, tribe, and nation would be included. That Revelation 7 is not just some pie-in-the-sky vision. It actually can be as on, on earth as it is and will be in heaven. Will it be easy? No. Notice the Roman church struggled. And if you remember, Paul used it to help unify them and stabilize them. And so, again, what we can walk away with, all of us, regardless of where we land on infant or uh, uh, making a profession of faith, we all can recognize that it is the charter, that it charges us to live our lives in such a way that is beneficial to the generations, that is beneficial to our friends and neighbors who don't yet know. It is a shame, a crying shame, when people can say of the Christians that are in their spheres of influence that their lives are worse. That should grieve us. Everyone around us, if you're baptized, should benefit from your baptism. Not your perfection. Notice what I said. I didn't say anything about you being perfect, did I? In fact, some of the most beautiful thing any of your friends and neighbors could ever see, and your children included, by the way, is you repentant. And you willing to change and say you're sorry, and, but you can't do that unless you messed up. Ain't nobody interested in perfection. Not, not yours. They're interested in their own. They're not interested in yours. So this is where our baptism helps remind us of who and whose we are and that that's not the end of the story, that messing up is not the end. That we have a good God who is steadfast and continues to indwell us with the Spirit. Now, the, what, the, the catechism question that comes, that was, comes from this text, um, I will admit to you I don't love the wording, but I believe it to be true. It's just the way it's phrased, uh, but I'm, I'm going to read it. Uh, and I'll, I'll make a couple of comments. It says, to whom is baptism to be administered? Baptism, it starts with not. That's, I just wouldn't have started it with not. I'd have probably picked that up later. But the, the divines were doing what they were doing. 
Baptism is not to be administered to people outside the visible church and therefore strangers from the covenant of promise until they profess their faith in Christ and their obedience to him. Now, let me tell you why this isn't terrible news. It, it sounds a little strange, doesn't it? But it's because the baptized ones are to go to those who are far off and call them to repentance so that they can be baptized. This is not a zero-sum, you're-out type statement, especially in light of what we just read. And then it goes on, because this actually is, it uses this text as proof for what it is saying, and you can see it, right? It's for the generations and for those who are far off. Baptism is not for them to have it until they have repented in that case. But infants descending from parents who profess faith in Christ and obedience to him, either both or only one of them, are in that respect within the covenant and are to be baptized. Children are a gift from the Lord. That doesn't mean you're going to love them the same every day. That doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but they are a gift. My memory fails me. Uh, but that having children, I think it was Patrick Skeen, actually, uh, that having children was the, the second most sanctifying thing to marriage. Right? Somebody said that. Patrick, if you didn't say it, you ought to tell everybody you know. Because it's just true. <laughs> you want your theology tested? You want your heart tested? Uh, man, your children are going to do it. Um, and we do it to our parents as children. And so uh, they are. They're a gift. Uh, but here's the good news. Your own progeny is not all you have. You've got, you've got a whole bounty, a, a, a complete beautiful harvest field that is, that, is, that is filled with opportunity around you uh, in your friends and neighbors. I mean, each of us have different capacities, emotional quotients for how many people we can engage, but the harvest is plentiful. So how are you serving as a baptized ambassador of reconciliation to the coming generations? And again, I want to make this clear. I, mean, I don't think every one of you is called to do both. Some are. Some aren't, but all of us are called to make sure both are covered. Does that make sense? And so don't hear this question as you must do both, right? But you must be involved in at least one of them. So how are you serving as a baptized ambassador of reconciliation to the coming generations? And I probably should have said and or based on what I just said. You're not believing, not yet believing friends and neighbors as an instrument of God's covenant faithfulness. That is a question for you to consider. And like I said, if you if you're, don't know the answer to that, come talk to us. We could be of benefit to you. We're not going to like black bag your head and send you to China, you know, because that's the most holy thing you could do. Uh, we'll, we'll truly try to sit down with you and kind of think through what are your gifts? What are your abilities? What are you passionate about? Where do you have a, a opportunity, right? That's the Lord opens opportunity. We don't make opportunity. Um, and so let us be of help to you. Don't let it make you shamed, ashamed and guilty. Um, more than likely, like if you're raising young children, that's going to be your primary mission field. And I'm not telling you don't worry about your unbelieving friends and neighbors, but, but the Lord's given you quite uh, a lot there. Um, and so uh, that is opportunity. So I don't want anybody walking away feeling beat up or guilty about what they're not doing, but instead maybe better understand what they've got uh, already available to them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
All right, so Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41 tells us God saves and calls us to serve as baptized ambassadors of reconciliation to the coming generations and not yet believing neighbors that he, and this is very important, entrusts to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you would grant to earthen vessels on, on that crooked generation and we who are crooked in our own right. God, thank you that you continue to abide with us and serve us, that Christ is making intercession for us even now. That, that the Holy Spirit is at work praying for us where we don't even know what to pray. That he is working to convict of sin and righteousness and to exalt Jesus in and through us even when we mess up. God, thank you that there is so much grace and there are so many opportunities to learn how Deeply we are loved so that we can love you and love our neighbors that you entrust to us. God, bless the work of our hands. Give us many opportunities. Grant us favor. Give us wisdom and clarity about how we are to live this out individually and together as a church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.